Hello, I'm James Took, and this is a show in which I'll be exploring the full breadth of the medical spectrum, yielding insight from experts in their fields. I'll be speaking to practitioners and researchers about their experiences and newest findings, as well as patients about their time in care and the challenges that they faced. I'll also be discussing culturally relevant ethical issues, as well as providing feel-good stories to help you get through your week. Welcome to the Good Medical Podcast. Human papillomavirus, or HPV, is a term that encompasses a large and very common group of sexually transmitted viruses. According to the NHS, most people will contract HPV in some form during their lifetime. However, most forms of HPV are asymptomatic and don't cause any problems in the individual that they infect. Despite this, a small group of aggressive strains can cause cancers or genital warts in individuals. Today we're going to be mostly focusing on the cancers that HPV can cause, predominantly in the genitals or the head and neck. Mostly this has been associated with females and as a result the NHS and many other countries launched a vaccination scheme for young girls which was very successful in lowering the level of infections of HPV in both men and women. However, more recently, there have been developments to adapt this scheme so that young boys can be immunised as well as groups of men who have sex with men and transgender men and women. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Mark McCarla, a sporting dentist who in December 2015 discovered a lump on his neck around the lymph node area. It would later turn out that this lump was a result of squamous cell carcinoma, which had originally been brought on by human papillomavirus, an infection that Mark was completely unaware of. Since then, Mark has recovered from an intensive chemotherapy and radiotherapy regime, has been in full remission for over a year, and is in great health today. He has also been raising awareness about HPV and funds for a charity of his choice. Although Mark is very optimistic and pragmatic in his discussion and his description of his experience, I understand that this topic may be distressing for certain listeners. If you find it difficult to listen to conversations about cancer symptoms, diagnosis and treatment, as well as the challenges that people face during that experience, then I advise against listening to most of this episode. However, we will not be jumping into that conversation straight away, and so if you'd like to test the waters by listening to Mark speak first, you can listen to the first one or two minutes safely. Furthermore, I'll still be posting additional information on HPV, as well as a link to Mark's charity of choice, Hope Against Cancer, on our social media, and you can find more information there. Let's have a listen to Mark's story. Hello, Mark. Hi there, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. Good. It's been uh, it's been really good weather recently. Have you been out and about? Yeah, doing a bit of sport, bit of cycling, bit of walking. Have had time, plenty of time off work because uh, I'm a dentist and uh, we've not been able to see patients. So it's been like semi-retirement. So I've made the most of it. The garden <laughs> looks fantastic. Um, the house we've done some decorating in the house. Yeah, it's been really good actually. So uh, yeah, life's good at the moment. Is work starting to pick up a bit more now? Then uh, dentists opened a little bit, but I think I know there's been a bit of a sort of a, a waiting period. Yeah, we, 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 we couldn't see patients for about two and a half to three months because of COVID. So all, all we were doing from working four full days a week, I went to once every two weeks, just going in for the day, doing phone call triaging, helping patients 
on the phone and in severe urgent cases referring them to an urgent dental centre. But that was basically it for two and a half months. But a couple of weeks ago, we started to be able to see patients face to face for very, very basic treatment. And we're just waiting to get fit tested for the proper PPE so we can you know come back to normal with work so although it's going to be totally different now because um because of covid and cross infection etc but we're starting to get back but um yeah very slowly sort of baby steps really yeah and hopefully hopefully it will be back to normal in a few months for at least for dentistry practice i'm sure there'll be measures in place oh absolutely oh it'll change dentistry i think forever but i think it will do for a lot of places i think you know a lot of the professions etc definitely so we're going to spend a lot of your time talking about your experience that you had with uh, squamous cell carcinoma and the, the cancer that you had in your neck, and also a little bit about HPV, especially in men, yeah. as a cause. So let's let's take a step back. I think it was around 2015. You said that you you first noticed um, that there might be something wrong. Would you be able to talk about that a little bit? Okay, I never felt ill with the um, cancer, but. Towards the end of December 2015, I developed a, a lump in my neck, about the size of a small sort of egg. And I, I was having a problem with a tooth, a lower molar on that side, actually, at the same time. So I was thinking, it's usually the obvious course, anything like that. And I was thinking well, I had an abscess because it was a non-vital tooth and it was draining and causing the nose to inflame. Anyway, somebody tried to do treatment on the tooth, but it didn't work. And I was sort of having a lot of pain with the tooth itself. Never any pain from the lump. And in the end, I had to have the tooth out. This was in early 2016. Problem is, the dentist who took the tooth out didn't remove the whole of the tooth. He couldn't remove part of the root. So usually that won't cause a problem. But in my case, this infection persisted. The, the socket wouldn't heal and the node, the lump persisted. So I thought it was due to that still. So anyway, I saw a colleague who does oral surgery and he got me in, a friend, uh, to get the root out. He got the root out and the socket healed up perfectly after that but the lump persisted so I was thinking well this isn't right we've got to find out so I phoned a friend of mine who's a maxillofacial consultant and he said go and get a blood test I went to the doctors asked for a blood test had it done on the Thursday and I got a phone call the following Monday from just a receptionist saying the blood's clear and that was it I thought well that's fine that's good news so but this because the lump the node persisted I phoned my friend again a few days later I said the bloods are clear but you know and he said well listen, it's not right. We need to find out what it is. Hopefully it's nothing to worry about, but I'll get you in with a colleague at Leicester Royal. And he got me in for an ultrasound and an aspiration biopsy. So I had that done a week or so later and had the ultrasound and did the aspiration biopsy. And then a few days later, I was having a coffee and a bit of lunch with my wife in, in the countryside here. And uh, I got a missed call. So I went outside because obviously we were inside the room people. And he said, sorry, mate, it's bad news. You've got squamous cell carcinoma. I went, oh, right, okay. And he says, have you ever had problems with your tonsils? And I said, no, nope, never, never had a problem. Don't feel bad, feel great. I was playing five-side football at the time, everything, you know, it was just like normal, except I had a look. Yeah. And he said, look, don't worry, I'll get you in one of the best guys in Leicester. And he arranged that for me. So then I went to see an ENT consultant there and he had a look, had a feel, checked my nose everywhere. And he said, look, it's probably from your tonsil. So I ended up having a CT scan and a PET scan, which is a radioactive scan, you'll know that old thing and we looked at the scan and it showed all the activity in the tonsil especially the left one which is the side so that the treatment planning was that i'd have surgery to remove the tonsils and that would give us the pathology results and then i'd start a six-week course of quite aggressive chemo radiotherapy one thing he did say as well that you will need to um, have a peg fitted and initially i thought well i know what a peg is and i didn't want to 
I said, no, don't worry, I won't need a peg, I'll be fine. And he said, look, you need a peg. If you don't have a peg, we can't do the treatment and you're not going to survive. So I had a peg fitted, which was the one thing I wasn't particularly looking forward to. But it was done with IV sedation and it was absolutely perfect. Not a problem at all. And then I was due to have surgery. We managed to go on holiday. We had a holiday booked and I said, look, can, do we need to cancel it? He says, no, go and have a holiday. Go on holiday. We'll start the treatment as soon as you get back. So that was nice. We had a lovely holiday on, on a cruise. But then basically that's how I got to the stage of surgery and starting the treatment. Okay. So over that period where you were awaiting the results of the fine needle aspiration, the biopsy, and even yeah. before that, did it seem, I mean, you said you felt no symptoms, you didn't feel unwell at all. So was it even a consideration in your mind that there might be a, a problem there, really? A little bit of me thought this could be something serious. But because we, we, we detect cancers at work, mouth cancers, throat cancers, to a certain degree, we don't see that many, although they are on the increase. So I thought, well, it could be serious, but there could be a simple explanation. And the consultant says, look, it could be one of a few things. You know, it's not necessarily something really nasty. So I, I didn't think, I, I knew there was a chance, but it didn't really cross my mind. So when he told me, I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was shocked. I was surprised more than anything. Yeah. My wife was upset because it was a shock for her. I, being in the medical sort of profession, I'm sort of very pragmatic. I thought, right, I've got cancer. We need to do the next stage and cure it. And, and, and Ian says, look, I'll get you in with one of the best blokes in Leicester Royal. We'll get this sorted. You'll be fine. And that's all I needed to hear. So to me, I was never, I was never concerned that I would never survive this. And I never, I was, I wasn't upset. It was, it was upset telling people like we had to tell Ellie and Nancy, my daughters, two daughters, and we had to tell them before we could tell anybody else because once you tell one or two people, it goes everywhere. It's, you know, social media, whatever. So I was yeah. very careful not to tell anybody until we told them. And Ellie was just coming up to doing her finals at university, and Nancy was coming up to doing her A levels. It wasn't a good time, and it was the May Bank holiday, so we just made a special trip to go and see Ellie in Liverpool. We went with Nancy, nobody knew. We just had a lovely day and we were having a meal. I said, look, I've just got to tell you something. And, uh, and, and that was the hardest thing, telling them to. But they were absolutely fine. I mean, Nancy had a few tears. And he said, well, what are they going to do? How are they going to treat you? And, you know, we were absolutely fine. So but I never thought, and, and when, when I spoke, and when I went to see the consultant ENC surgeon, he basically said, right, you'd have to have a peg, you'd have to do surgery, you'd have to have chemo, radiotherapy. He said, you're going to hate me because you're going to feel really bad with the chemo that we're going to give you. It's very, very aggressive. But being from a medical sort of background, you know, this is the cure. We'll do this and you'll be fine. This is what I say to my patients. Look, if we do this root filling, you'll save the tooth. It should be fine. So I never thought I wouldn't beat it. So it wasn't, it wasn't mentally I was fine about it. And as I said, physically, I never felt bad at all. Well, from the, the cancer itself, I might move on to uh, the actual treatment. Yeah. That affected you physically a little bit. But oh, yeah. I think the fact of having a, a plan is probably what made you feel quite confident in it is that it had been set out what was going to happen to you and part of that plan was this gastric peg this um, yes. gastric tube and we'll come on to that in a, a second as well because I think that's a big part of your experience of treatment is this adaptation to this peg and how it changes your daily life quite substantially I think yes so you had this this lump and you said that when the CT came back it spread uh, sort of around your tonsil area it was mainly around the left tonsil and a little bit in the right tonsil, but the rest of the body was clear. That was one yeah. thing I was worried about. Actually, that was the one time, just to rewind to what you said, we were driving over for the results of the scan, and I was, and I, Les, my wife, she drove, 
that day. I normally do the driving, but she, I said, do you want to drive? And I was quiet. She was, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm okay. She, said, she seemed a bit quiet. I said, well, I'm a bit bit worried. And she said, why, why are you worried? You never like, she said, you never worry about anything. You're, you know, I said, yeah, well, I'm a bit worried because I'm getting results of these two scans. And he could actually say, right, it's spread. You've got it in your bones. You've got it in your brain. And I said, that wouldn't be the best news. So as soon as we walked in, I said, how's the scan? Good or bad? And he went, good. I said, that's all I need to know. And then he showed me and it just showed the activity in the left tonsil, especially, which is where the node was up. Yeah. And a little bit in the right, but everything else was clear. So that was brilliant news. That was good. Did you have a period of waiting before you started your therapy? You said you, there was a, a holiday that you booked in and then you came straight back. Was it straight straight into it? I had a few trips to Leicester Royal. So I had to have a mask made for the uh, radiotherapy, which, which holds you down in the exact position so that the beam is directed in the exact position place with hit organs vessels that aren't needed so i've had a few trips to do these things and go to the radi um, radiology department talk to the chemo people so we were to and fro in i was going to all these appointments but we had a two-week holiday books and it was a sort of a couple of weeks after that and i said to the consultant when i saw him i said look we have got a holiday booked shall we just cancel it for the treatment he says look don't worry wait in two more weeks won't make any difference, won't have any impact on it at all on the prognosis. So he says, if I was you, go on your holiday, have a fantastic time because you're going to have a pretty nasty time afterwards. Yeah. And he basically said, you will hate me because of how you feel. So we went on a two-week holiday. We came back on the Wednesday and he says, I'll try and get you into the surgery, which is the first part of the active treatment, either on the Thursday or the Monday. So we literally got back on the Wednesday and then I phoned up on the way back from the airport. And he got me in and I was the first one on the table on the Tuesday. So it was nice that we could have. We had a lovely holiday. It was fantastic. And we had a great time. And, and it didn't spoil my holiday knowing what was coming at all. Like I said, I'm very pragmatic. I just knew I'm going to have to have surgery. I'll be a bit sore. It's not a big deal. So we had a great holiday. And, and it was nice that he said, yeah, go on your holiday and we'll do the surgery as soon as you get back. Once you came back and you had the surgery, which was the first step, was this removing the tonsils? Yes. It was removing both tonsils and biopsies at the back of the throat. So I had biopsies at the base of the tongue and all around the tonsil area as well, just to check, because he said some areas looked a little bit suspect. So they did that, but the biopsies came back clear, except for the tonsil, which is when we found out it was due to HPV. So you got this result back of the, the HPV as a, as a sort of primary cause. Yes. Um, you got this back later from the pathologist once they'd done this, the biopsy of your tonsils. Yes, yes. So we got that results about a week or so later when we went in, we went in to let him review me and everything. What's interesting, I suppose, is that you never, you never felt that you had an infection, even in any long-term history of your life, that you'd had this infection at all. No. So it had gone pretty much asymptomatically, and then it's just manifested really horribly, I suppose, in, in this cancer forming down the line. Yeah. So now we'll move forward to the point where you start your treatment. And let's talk about the first sessions of radiotherapy and chemotherapy, because I think that's uh, the initial adjustment. How did you feel after those, those sessions or even during those sessions? Right. Well, I had, I had to have it was quite a radical treatment, which surprised me. But he, he said, you've got to have quite an aggressive treatment to cure this. So I was having radiotherapy every day for six weeks, Monday to Friday, every day. And the chemotherapy was on the day one, the middle of the treatment and towards the end. So it was split into three sessions, which you spent the whole day in the uh, chemo suite. So the first day I went in, 
I had the radio first, first thing in the morning, then went in the chemo suite, and it's it's given IV. So I had an IV, and it took it started about half nine, and then they have to hydrate you, rehydrate you after and have the chemo, and we didn't leave till about five. So that was the first day, and then the next day radio, next day radio, next day radio. This went on until I was due for my second chemo, which was a whole day again with the radio, and then. The third one was towards the end of the treatment. So that's how it progressed. The radiotherapy wasn't a problem. I didn't have any soreness at all from it. But the chemo, at first, I thought, well, this is fine. You know, I had the chemo and I felt fine. We were doing normal things. You know, seeing friends going out. You know, I was off work, you see. I was signed off. It felt fine. But then probably, uh, it's difficult to remember exactly, but I think around the time, no, around the time of the second chemo, somebody came around. I was sitting there all day. and We were sitting there chatting to people. And somebody said, oh, um, do you want a sandwich? And I said, yeah, yeah, go on then. I'll have a sandwich. And I take, had the sandwich and just tasted a bit off. It was, you know, like a, a poor, cheap sandwich. So I just ate it and that was it. And then we went to see um, Ellie in Uxbridge and we went out for a few drinks and a meal. And we were coming back. From, the meal was okay, but we were coming back and uh, Ellie and myself were walking back and there was a 24-hour Tesco's there. We, we got some chocolate buttons and I tried one and I said, these taste a bit off. Check the sell-by date. And she said, no, they're not, they're fine. I said, give me another one. So I tried it. I said, this, are you sure that they taste off? And she goes, dad, I think it's your chemo. And that was the first time I really noticed it. And then gradually over the next few days, my taste just went and, it, and I couldn't eat. And I physically couldn't eat for about 12 weeks. And so I had to feed through the peg. So obviously having the peg was a really important part of the treatment because it wasn't a case I couldn't swallow things because of any pain or radio side effects, but it was the taste. Everything tasted like manure that's the only way i could describe it. it tasted like manure and had the texture of sawdust i couldn't even drink water so i literally had to peg feed for about 12 13 14 weeks because i physically couldn't physically it would make me feel sick yeah. and the sickness was really bad i was admitted twice as an emergency once because of they did a blood test and so they seeing me sort of every week or so i had a blood test and um my kidney function they were they were concerned that my kidneys would be harmed on a permanent basis. So they, I was admitted for rehydration. I had an IV overnight and that sorts that out. And then once I was being sick all weekend, only through peg feeding, I was literally feeding through peg and bringing it straight up. And this was day and night over a whole weekend. And so I phoned on the Monday and they, I got told off for not going in straight away. And, I, and they admitted me and tried different anti-sickness medication. And I, they probably tried about six or seven until they found one that calmed it down. And that, that was pretty nasty, you know because I've been sick all the time. So that side of things, that was the worst bit. And I did feel, for probably a period of two weeks, I did feel very, very ill with it. I felt ill with it all the time, but very ill. I, I get up, have a shower, but just lie in bed for the rest of the day. Get up just to feed with the peg. I always had a shower, though, because I wanted to feel okay. And I'd just lie in bed, sort of in a semi-conscious state, almost, with the TV on, with the Olympics on in the background, just to have a bit of company. But I did feel then as if I was dying. And if somebody said, you are going to die, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, they said you are going to die. That's how poorly I felt for a couple of period, couple of weeks. But then after that, I started to feel a bit better. Although I felt ill, quite ill, I still managed to go out for a walk, and people would come around and go for a little walk somewhere. But eating and drinking was absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing happening. And I think that's quite an interesting feeling or set of emotions that you describe is familiar, possibly for quite a few people who go through chemotherapy or even treatments for cancer. That it becomes very much a day to day survival yes. instead of your your day-to-day enjoyments you don't focus on enjoying things doing hobbies it becomes very much day-to-day survival and 
you get almost that state of where you're not sure are you going to make it through the chemotherapy because it feels so rough. And it, did you feel almost when once you start to get better again, it 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 came almost out of out of nowhere all of a sudden? No, not really. It's more of a gradual thing. It was okay. more of a gradual thing. I'd come downstairs and rather than not just staying upstairs and feeding and everything, I'd come downstairs and my wife would say, oh, "Are you coming downstairs?" I says, "Yeah, I just want to just stretch my legs." And I'd do that. And I'd sit downstairs for a bit, or then a few days later, some friends would go for a walk. There's a big, nice sort of park area. We'd go for a walk, and you know, just take my time just to do something, just for your mental well-being, I suppose. But when I felt that rough roughness in for the two weeks, I wouldn't have been bothered about that. No. And also smells, smells when they were cooking, even coming through the house, it made me feel sick. The sickness was one of the worst things about the whole thing. Yeah. But I was on a trial as well, and I was on a trial for the chemo. And the consultant told me that I was the only one on the trial that managed the three doses of the chemo. Most others, well, everyone else did either one or two because it was it was so aggressive and nasty. But I didn't know there was a choice. To be honest, I just thought I've got to have it, so I just had it. And this was a this was a cisplatin trial, I think you you yes. mentioned when we talked earlier. Yeah. But I think if you're in that position, that's another thing when it comes to chemotherapy and cancer treatment. Is a lot of it is still very experimental, or there are options that are being tried that might have. Yeah much better reward and so in your head did you see it as a, a clear choice well i think you just got to take the advice from the specialist i've got a friend actually who had exactly the same treatment as me recently and i was visiting her to see how she was and they've changed it now the protocol she was having radio every day for the six weeks but she was having cisplatin but a much smaller dose six times instead of a massive dose three times so i think the, probably from that trial they've worked out that and she managed two of those smaller doses, but she couldn't hack anymore. And the consultant says, look, we'll take you off it because the benefit isn't that much. It's the radio that's going to be the major benefit. The cisplatin is going to help if you can have it, but you are so poorly with it. You've got to open the pros and the cons. So it's better for you not to have it. So she actually stopped. Okay. So that's how they're doing it now. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think it's being adapted a lot, but there's always uh, there's always been this catch with chemos it's always been a double-edged sword in that you have to go through quite a lot of a struggle for it to pay off and balancing that's quite difficult i mean if you touch wood i think a lot of people always talk about if they were to go through it again whether they would or would not do it do you have a take on that yeah well a lot of people i know this friend of mine recently she said if i haven't got this again i would never go through it again and i said well yeah you might probably feel like that now but you i'm sure you change your mind because i won't i know i won't I think at the time I would have thought, oh, I wouldn't want to go through this. But if I got the same thing again now, I would just do it all again. Because the alternative isn't so good, is it? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd say 100%. And I'd, I'd know how awful it was going to be, but it wouldn't bother me. I just think, let's just get on. you get through it. Six months, we'll be back to sort of normality. So, yeah, I would definitely do it again. But there are a lot of people who do say I wouldn't go through it again. Yeah, I think that comes with a very positive hindsight that you've got now moving forward i mean you're would you describe yourself as back to full health pretty much um yeah i would say so i think one thing the, the radio killed off my thyroid so I'm, i have to take thyroxine every day so but and i'm not sure if that's actually working as it should to be honest because i've still got you know the side effects from not having enough thyroxine in my system so that's something i'm going to talk you know i've got brittle fingernails i've got dry skin i'm cold a lot of the time it's not a big deal but it is something i'm aware of my taste is pretty well okay 
which was one thing I was concerned about because I like my, I like my food and drink. So that took a few months to get back to normal. I think my throat's a bit constricted, so I have to be more careful with eating than chewing my food because I think with the surgery and the radiotherapy, you know, it's more constricted there. So I have to be careful, especially in the early days when I started eating again, I could feel like I was choking. So subconsciously now I chew more thoroughly. I have to. What else? I mean, I can still do my sports and everything. I think I feel more tired generally. You know, yeah. at night I'd be more tired. And it, I developed sleep apnea due to it as well. So I think that's part of it. So I was tested for sleep apnea afterwards because I was snoring more and holding my breath. And I think, uh, and they say that is because of all the work on your throat. But these are things that you just have to live with. You know, sleep apnea, no thyroxine. These are things I can live with. So, but, but apart from that, I mean, I can do things. I can do my sport, which is important. I can enjoy doing things with friends and families, going for meals and going on holiday, and go to work. As I said, the alternative is good. So I'm quite happy with the way it's ended up. It sounds like you've managed to get back to a, a normality and you're able to do your day-to-day activities as you would. Yeah. Except in current circumstances, of course, due yeah, to yeah, other, yeah, yeah. Due to other exactly. factors. But the actual, there's nothing intrinsic that's stopping you. Right. We'll briefly talk about the, the hypothyroidism because that's quite interesting. And it was something that wasn't initially picked up you said, by, by medical practitioners. No. So when did you first start to notice it? How, how long was it? Was it during treatment or after treatment? No, it was after treatment. I, I, get, I went back to work. I was, I was off literally for six months and I started going back to work sort of middle of December, just for a week or two before Christmas because I always have Christmas, New Year off. So I thought, well, I'll just get back. My nurse made longer appointments for me for patients and everything. I was constantly freezing. I was cold. My, my skin was sort of dry my skin is still dry see my nails were cracking I was literally hugging the radiator and all these other things and this went on and I thought well this is just how this is my new normal you know after the shock of the treatment probably I thought well this is how it is and because I was on trial I was going back every month for the first year to see the oncology department and there was a patient funnily enough who's, who'd had the same treatment as me but four months previously so she was on this trial but four months ahead so I bumped into her and her mother, actually. And, I, and she said, how are you getting on? I said, okay, really, you know, fine. I, remember. I said, but I just feel a bit tired all the time, cold all the time. My nails are cracking. They're so brittle, dry skin. And I, another thing, sort of mentally, I felt a bit foggy. Everything took time, took more time to think about things. As if I felt like I was walking through treacle, that kind of thing. And she said, have you had your thyroid gland checked? And I said, no. She goes, could be something like that because of all the radio she's had her thyroid checked her daughter i said no so i went in and they said how are you getting on yeah everything's fine blah 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 and i said just one thing could my thyroid be affected and the and the consultant looked at the nurse she looked submissive to say oh we should have checked that so he said mm, yeah we better check that so i had a blood test there and then and this was a thursday and then the following monday or tuesday we got a phone call at home and the doctor said you've got to come into hospital and stay overnight and i said no i'm not doing that because i've got patients booked in and i've messed them around I'm, why is this and he says it's your thyroid gland it's completely shot you've got no thyroxine and he said how are you how are you getting up how are you going to work i said well i've been doing it since the end of december it's just felt weird and he says well can you come in and they put me on thyroxine and up the dose up the dose kept checking and until they said i was on the dose that was right so that's how i found out about that just an incidental finding really would they have ever checked if i hadn't said anything i think that's the importance as well is that if you're a patient who's come off of chemotherapy or these sort of intensive treatments it's hard to know how do you know whether it's something that's just part and parcel of what you've been through 
or if it's something that can be that can be resolved. Exactly. And if you hadn't said anything, it it wouldn't have ever been known. And I suppose you hadn't even given it much due thought to to mention it up to that point. No, I really thought that was just the way it was going to be. I thought this is it. I've had you know, there's been such a shock to my body. This is the way I've got to be and live with it. So it was nice when the test came back saying your thyroid is shot. You haven't got any thyroxine in your body. <laughs> you need to come in and we've got to get you on thyroxine. So it was nice to think, well, actually, I'm not imagining it. I'm not going mad or anything. This is, there's a reason for it. So I'm glad it was recognised. Yeah, it brings up the importance of mentioning these kind of things, even post-chemotherapy, I suppose. Some of them are part and parcel, some symptoms are. But there are some things that might be manageable side effects. Yeah. If you said you still have a bit of dry skin now, but it's mostly a lot better than it was. Yeah, yeah. So moving forward from that, you've been through your experience of treatment and you've you've come out the other side and you're pretty much very healthy and able to get on with your daily life really well and, and go about your work and your hobbies and a key sort of side part of this was the fact that this all came on or was a, a secondary cause of hpv so this hpv was the the original trigger or was a large contribution to yeah. you developing this cancer and you never felt unwell before in your your tonsils you said never 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 felt any infection and it's always been a big thing regarding women's cancer cervical cancer vaginal cancers and there's been a vaccination scheme for that which has been set up and been very successful for the past 10 years or more and uh, that has helped to protect men as well yeah but there's been more of a recent movement uh, around april 2018 moving forward to try and increase vaccinations for men, especially young, uh, younger boys, 12 to 13 year old, and, and men who have sex with men, uh, trans men, trans women. Did you feel growing up there was a lot of attention? Did you, did you even think about contracting HPV as a man? No, never, never. I mean, I'd, until I got it, I, I'd heard of it, but didn't really know anything about it because it was relevant. I'd never read up on it or I knew, I'd heard of HPV, but it was just a virus. I didn't know anything else. But obviously, as soon as as soon as I had the diagnosis from the pathology, I started reading up on it. And friends were giving me bits of journals, talking to people going through the same thing. And then I started looking into it more. So no, I, I was very ignorant to the fact of HPV until it affected me. And the consultant said to me, when he told me, he said, you're just unlucky. You know, because most people have got HPV to a certain degree, but you've got an aggressive strain that he said you're very unlucky. I thought, well, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the relevance to cervical cancer with girls and immunizations and boys not having it, etc. So it's all new to me. And, and that's quite interesting because it, I, I think you probably were in a very unfortunate category in, in that it's, it's, it is even without vaccinations for men with the female vaccination program that's been developed it's been much less likely for men to catch it so i think i think there's been a lot more attention now towards it because it has it has the potential to cause such a destabilizing effect on your life I mean, you didn't feel the original infection but this knock-on effect that it's had yeah although you've come out of it okay it, it was not a, a i don't think you'd choose to go through the experience again ever it's a, not a nice experience no, no. um at all and so moving forward from your, your, your experience now, have you been quite active in, in, being, in raising awareness or, or fundraising at all since then? We've, yeah, I mean, I've tried to, I've, I've tried to 
raise awareness with all friends, colleagues, family, etc. Because it's the same. They said, well, what's this HPV tell us? And when I was on the trial at Esther Royal Infirmary, there's a department called Hope Against Cancer. And they were looking after me on the trial. And I wanted to give something back because the, the treatment I had at Leicester Oil was second to none. They were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. You know, I, they couldn't have looked after me better. The staff were lovely. Obviously, they cured me. So it, they were great. So I wanted to raise awareness by doing fundraising to get something back. So one of the things we did, we put something on Facebook, a Just Giving page, with a, a summary of what had happened and a photo and saying, look, you can support because I, I wanted to do a sponsored bike ride you know I like cycling so and my daughter Ellie lived at the time in Uxbridge and we we're in Loughborough so it's door to door it's 120 miles cycling and so I wanted to do that because I've never done anything as, as a cycle ride as long as that so we did that but prior to that we did a charity fundraising event at the house at Christmas and my wife and her friends organized it and I obviously helped as well and we did um we got local businesses to offer prizes for an auction we had raffle prizes donated we sold cakes and teas and coffees and and this was started at 10 in the morning and then it was supposed to finish at about three or four in the afternoon but obviously some friends stayed and we were having drinks and that raised something like three thousand pounds from that one half a day event which was fantastic you know with the auction and then my cycle ride raised another four thousand so it was i think in the end we raised just short of eight thousand pounds from the from the sponsored bike ride which i did with a friend and the christmas charity event and but because a lot of people sponsored it and saw the write-up on um, facebook and i put posters up it did mention about hpv so it did make people a lot more aware about it and it was nice to give something back because you know like i said the treatment was fantastic and it was a way of giving some fundraising for the uh, hope against cancer group yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic cause as well. And it's one that's very close to your heart that's helped you out a lot. Oh, absolutely. So I'll, I'll leave links relating to it as well and any extra information for people who want to know more about HPV. I guess one final question, having been through what is a very arduous and difficult experience, did you find it was a, I mean, you've maintained your optimism and pragmatic attitude throughout. So that's, that's clear to see. But did yeah. you have any sort of perspective change? Yes, oh, definitely. It changes. It changes the way you feel about things. It, 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 I mean, I'm a grass the nettle kind of person anyway, and I like I do things and I get on with things. But it even made me realise how precious life is, and to make the most of every day and your family, your friends, doing things. It, you appreciate things more. You appreciate your time with people more. Like visiting Nancy in Sheffield, my youngest. We have a lovely time, and we spend time with her. And, and visiting Ellie in Uxbridge when she was working there, and we'd go and have the weekend there. And you know, you don't take things for granted or anything. You, it does make you feel lucky. That's that's probably the word. It makes yeah. you feel lucky. Because when I was told, "Listen, we can cure you," that was fine. That's all I needed to hear. But I think the five-year survival was something like nine ninety percent. So that's good. You take nine out of ten. But I know people who were having similar treatments that you know didn't survive and it does make you feel very lucky you appreciate the little things in life that you take for granted you appreciate them a lot more and you appreciate the things you appreciate even more like holidays and time with your family and friends and you know everything's precious and I've even though my treatment was in 2016 even now you know I enjoyed my time and with friends and family and the things I do the little things I just think yeah you know you feel lucky to be alive really I think many people will agree with you there, as I think it is a change of perspective that takes place following a lot of testing events that take place during our lifetimes. 
It's been really great to listen to you talk about your experience and the challenges that you've faced and how you now live life to the fullest and how you've managed to remain optimistic throughout is fantastic. So thank you very much for your time. No problem. Listening to Mark's story highlights to me the importance of raising awareness of any illness, but also the importance as a medical practitioner and a patient of clear communication of symptoms before, during and after intensive treatment. If it wasn't for Mark raising the issue of his thyroid problem, then doctors may have never known and investigated further. This communication is key and it's also important as a practitioner to try and obtain this information from the patient. Following on from this episode, I'll be leaving links to resources on HPV as well as the cancer it can cause in the head and neck on our social medias. You can find this at Good Medical Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Good Medical Pod on Twitter. Here you will also find additional information about Mark as well as all of our other guests and updates on our latest episodes. I'll also be leaving a link to Mark's charity of choice, Hope Against Cancer, in case you would like to find out more about the great work that they do, or potentially leave a generous donation. I hope that you found this episode interesting and enjoyable, and all that leaves for me to say is thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.